Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Uh, I'm Buster Only, working from my home studio in New York. Taylor Schwenk is uh, working from his new home in the foothills of Connecticut. And Sarah Abbott in one of her last days in the heartland of Nebraska, Sarah. I know it's so bittersweet because I love Nebraska, but I am so excited to move to Connecticut. So I'll be there tomorrow night. Nice. Well, at some point, as uh, we were talking off air, uh, it'd be fun to catch lunch with you and with Taylor and with Todd Radom and, uh, you know, who's and Todd's going to join the podcast later. Uh, you know, just uh, that, that would be a lot of fun. And I, and I hope that that wouldn't tilt the, the balance of our, our weekly quiz, which you'll be hearing in just a second. All right. Uh, amazing games last night. First in Toronto, Red Sox and the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays had an early lead. The Red Sox came back. Boston had a 5-2 to lead in the ninth inning. And then the uh, Blue Jays pulled within two runs. George Springer at the plate. Two and one. And a drive to center. Well hit. Gone. Showman with that call and Taylor, I must say, I called that home run. I was watching that game live, and I said he's going to hit home run here. You've seen a couple uh, pitches, a couple scenarios like that in your day, eh, Buster? Yep, and I, I absolutely nailed that one. This, this, uh, these two teams played in the bottom of the tenth inning. The Blue Jays had a runner at third base, and this is how it ended. The ninth pitch of the at bat to Tapia. He swings and he loops it in the air out to left field. Verdugo races back. He makes the catch. Bo's coming down the line. He's steaming towards the plate and he wins it. The Blue Jays walk it off on a sacrifice fly from Rymel Tapia. Six to five winning edition of Blue Jays baseball. Sportsnet 590, the fan. We're going to be talking about the Blue Jays coming up with Jeff Passan in Minnesota. Another walk off. And the pitch, a swing and a line drive into right center field. Grossman over to his right. It's over his head and finds the wall. A late break from Lardick. He's got the green light. Now the stop sign from Watkins as the throw comes back in. But now the Twins are all over on the bases here. And now they throw it in left field. They throw it in the left field. Lardick scores. Urshel is coming home. Defense implodes. And the Twins win the game. Are you kidding? So an absolutely nutty ending. For the Detroit Tigers, a lot of frustration in the faces of the players as they walked off. The New York Mets told reporters the other day that the latest tests on Jacob DeGrom show, quote-unquote, considerable healing. That's a good sign. He's not been cleared yet to actually throw a baseball. Major League Baseball and the Players Association agreed for a roster expansion through May 29th. Teams are going to be allowed to carry 14 pitchers. The Atlanta Braves, uh, Eddie Rosario, is expected to be missed 8 to 12 weeks because he needed a procedure to correct vision issues. Anthony Rizzo had himself a huge day on Tuesday. He already had two home runs when he came to the plate in the eighth inning in Yankee Stadium. Here's the 3-1. Swung on, hit high in the air to right field toward the line. Fair or foul, it is fair, and it is... It is gone a home run. The third home run of the game for Anthony Rizzo. My goodness. Three home runs. He now has eight home runs. And the Yankees have a 12-8 lead. This is some game. 
Big news. The court sealed Yankees letter was released. Yeah, it really wasn't that big of a deal. A lot of the information had already come out. Jeff Passan will explain why this was, in his mind, a big nothing burger. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And there will be hot tickets in Seattle this summer, apparently, because the Mariners are rolling. They had a big inning against the Rays last night. Swung on a chop, over choice, head down the first baseline, rolling to the corner. One run's going to score. Here comes Murphy, Julio right behind him. He's going to score. Here's more around third base to throw home. Is not in time. Into third base goes Frazier. A bases clearing double for Frazier. And the Mariners have broken it open here in the fourth inning. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, lots of action in the NBA last night. The Heat wrap up their series, huge drama with the Nets and the fallout with Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons and the Low Post and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. They're going to have you covered with all of that. Uh, Hoop Collective is twice a week. Low Post also twice a week. Check those guys out wherever you listen to podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Wonderful, Buster. How are you? Uh, excited because we get to talk about the baseballs again. We've been talking hey. about the baseballs for God knows how long, but we're going to talk about it again because of what happened in the Cardinals and Mets game last night. Pete Alonso was at the plate and this happened. Oh, Alonzo is drilled and he gets up mad. Takes a look out at Cody Whitley before he proceeds to first base. 
Another head-high fastball against a New York Mets, and the Mets are angry. And you can understand why. Second Met to be hit tonight, the 17th this year, and the second time that Pete has been hit by a pitch, shoulders and above. And he really had to restrain himself. When he stood up, I think he had every notion about going out to confront Whitley about that pitch. That was Gary Cohen on SNY. Uh, there's a lot of chirping going back and forth between the Mets and the Cardinals. We're going to talk with Xavier Scruggs uh, in a little bit about what's going to happen today between these two teams. But interestingly, Jeff, after the game, the anger, uh, at least some of it, in the Mets clubhouse wasn't directed at the Cardinals. It was directed at Major League Baseball. Here's Mets starter Chris Bassett. The MLB has a very big problem with the baseballs. I mean, they're bad. Everyone knows it. Every pitcher in the league knows it. They're bad. They don't care. The MLB doesn't give a damn about it. They don't care. Um, we've told them our problems with them. They don't care. What are the problems with them? What's different about them? They're all different. The, the first inning, they're, they're, they're decent. The third inning, they're bad. The fourth inning, they're okay. The fifth inning, they're bad. Um, then we have different climates. Every, everything's, everything's different. There's no... no, there's no common ground with the balls there's nothing nothing the same outing to outing they're bad that was a nice follow-up by steve gelbs of SNY right there uh to you know have chris bassett explain what he's talking about jeff what's your take on this the baseballs are inconsistent they always have been inconsistent and as long as they are a handmade product which for some reason major league baseball insists on continuing to have they will be inconsistent and uh, it's it i understand chris bassett's frustration i i think the frustration is is not just in how the balls feel in his hands. It's that in 2019, the baseball was juiced. It's that in 2022, the baseball seems to be unjuiced or anti-juiced. It's that it's not just inning to inning. It's not just start to start. It's year over year. And I think the frustration is manifesting itself in a smaller window with something like this. Um, beyond that, Buster, the fact that we have gone from spider tack to theoretically, but not really, but theoretically nothing on a baseball uh, over the the small period of time here. Um, I, I think the anger from the players is just in the inconsistent application of this and in Major League Baseball not seeming to know what it wants or where it's going with this because Frankly, by now, they should have a baseball with a tacky surface that is the same everywhere, that doesn't get rubbed up with mud, and it doesn't, you know, your your outing doesn't depend uh, on this thing that has such great variability. And the frustration of pitchers is understandable and warranted. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> like, I can remember when I first started covering baseball centuries ago, uh, you know, the, the umpires would sit down and then baseball and, and, you know, the Delaware River mud and, and how they would apply it. And then you'd start to hear from players uh, and the clubhouse guys about how some umpires would tip the, the clubbies to rub up the baseball. So it was inconsistent from from place to place. And that conversation has continued. <laughs> it seems incredible to me that they can't come up with a consistent baseball. Yeah. Just absurd. 
that, you know, when you're talking about an industry at this level and how integral this piece of, uh, of equipment is. I, 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 I'm just flummoxed by the year over year changes. I know, you know, Chris Bassett's anger and frustration is that the best hitter or, or one of the best hitters in his lineup got hit in the head. And I saw this actually opening week with Washington as well. When Alonzo got hit, Francisco Lindor got hit and there was the, uh, I'm not even going to call it a brawl, but there was the, the tussle, the tete-a-tete. Um, you know, they, they get angry in the moment, understandably, and then try to extrapolate that anger out to something else. And and that's what players do. It's very easy to be a prisoner of the moment when emotions are high, but the greater point here is warranted. It's that there's this burbling frustration among the players with the ball and whether that manifests itself in a guy getting hit or in balls, not flying out or in, you know, the, the coefficient of restitution. I mean, we can get super physics nerdy if we want here about why the ball is different and how it's different. But uh, in the end, we're still talking about the ball all these years later. And I cannot believe that they haven't been able to, between Major League Baseball and the Player Association, they haven't been able to agree on a middle ground. Yes. Like, I, I'm watching the games the last three months. It was pretty clear to me because I'm always watching the pitcher's hands and what they're doing. And when we got in October, you know, most of the pitchers were rubbing the forearm of their gloved hand. And you're like, okay, they're going back to sunscreen, rosin, that sort of combo. I've seen a couple pitches do it this year, but not nearly as many. I cannot believe in all this conversation that they don't just say, okay, we're going to put a can of bullfrog out on the mound and we're going to allow pitchers to use that and to get a little bit of tack, which is different than the spider tack. Why can't we get there, Jeff? <laughs> I, you know what? This is, this is supposed to be a podcast where there are two people right now who have covered baseball for probably a combined 40 to 50 years and we should have answers. We don't. There, there's no good reason. There's just no good reason that they can't figure out something in between nothing and spider tack. Yeah. Because I, I don't think it's unreasonable to have some sort of tackiness on the ball. But I, I don't think that uh, it's unreasonable either to say that you shouldn't be able to increase your RPMs on your curveball by 300 just through use of a substance. There, there has to be something there that it gives them enough, but not too much. And, you know, this is, is this the three bears? Like, I, I don't know. How, how can they, you know, uh, like, uh, doesn't the big bad wolf uh, like look at this and say, there's something in between? A hundred percent. And you just wish that there were conversations going on where they could find it. I was astonished that last year they didn't have those conversations and I'm astonished even more so now that they're not having those conversations to move on. I also think that it's more nuanced than what Chris Bassett said. Uh, you and I have seen uh, in this era how every team is loaded up now with seven or eight pitchers who their approach on the mound is, I'm going to absolutely throw as hard as I possibly can. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing. I, I mean, I'm going to throw as hard as I can. I'm going to spin it as hard as I can. The, listen, you and I both love baseball, Buster. Um, I, I think what we don't love is 
three and a half hour games where you have relievers going full tilt for a combined, I don't know, 10 of the 18 innings that are being played. And uh, I love watching a magnificent fastball as much as the next person, but uh, I, I love watching action too. And it's why I'll tell you what, man, have you watched like a full minor league game with a pitch clock? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it, it's great. Like it's great. And and I don't know if it's going to come in the same form or fashion to Major League Baseball next year when there is a pitch clock, but the game is just going to be better. There's so many great elements of baseball right now. Um I think this is going to be the first demonstrable step in the right direction in terms of pace and then it just comes down to how can we get starting pitchers back out there for more than four and a half innings at a time? Yeah, that and Pitchcom, which the teams that are using it uh, are comfortable with it. Their games are moving a lot faster. There's no. Yeah, I was. It, it's it's interesting. I, on the on the Mets broadcast last night, they were talking about how some of the Mets pitchers had stopped using Pitchcom because the noise they weren't able to hear it. And and I asked somebody at the league, and they said that was a complaint, and the firmware was updated to make sure it's coming in louder to the ear. And I was talking with a pitcher down at AAA uh, about the new rule. And he said, the only problem right now there is that when batters are in the box with nine seconds left to go on the pitch clock and ready to face it, we have to run through our signs. And if there's a runner on second base, you know, we may need to go multiple sequences. And if that's the the case, we probably aren't going to be able to get it in with nine seconds. We really need pitch com. And apparently there were not enough pitch com units produced yet to distribute throughout the minor leagues at this point. So I, I think the combination of pitch com and the pitch clock is going to be a wonderful thing going forward. So we get the pace of the game moving, but there aren't all these automatic strikes that are unnecessary. You and I and the other writers at ESPN got a memo yesterday from one of our editors, Dan Mullen, uh, and you and I were uh, chosen for honorable mentions for Red Hot Takes for an article that was published yesterday. Uh, and Paul Hembikides, who's going to be on the podcast tomorrow, won the, the gold medal for his Red Hot Take. And I want to hear yours because I hadn't actually gone in and read this article yet. I wanted to hear what your Red Hot Take was that was so good. But Paul Hembikides, after I saw what it was, he's insane. Like, there's no chance. What he wrote was is that Albert Pools is going to pass Babe Ruth's uh, career home run total, which is 714 and feels like it's 100 miles off. Yeah, Albert Pools, by the way, for the record, Hembo, because I don't think that you understand how math works, which I never thought that I would say, but Albert Pujols is at 681 right now, which would mean he has to hit 34 home runs to pass Babe Ruth. And listen, when an editor asks for a scorching hot take, uh, Hembo will provide like that. I, you know, respect to him for putting himself out there with that ridiculousness. And I don't know, Buster, if mine is, as ridiculous, it's probably pretty ridiculous, but it's it's much more, I think, within the realm of possibility. And that is that uh, in the last 50 years, there have been 13 seasons turned in by position players of 10 wins above replacement or more. Uh, my hot take was that Byron Buxton will be the 14th. And that is that is out there, not because of talent. Right. 
because Byron Buxton is averaging over the last two years 0.07 plus wins above replacement per game, which is a staggering number. I mean, it's it's an incredible pace, better than anyone in baseball, better than Trout, better than Tatis, better than Soto, better than Acuna. I mean, it's above all the best players in baseball. The problem is Byron Buxton's played 140-plus uh, games in his career once, and we've already seen him miss six games this season because of a knee ailment. So the notion of him staying healthy, uh, it is a pipe dream, but it is one that I fully embrace because I'd love to see what he can do in a full season. Yeah, and he's obviously fully aware of uh, you know the pitfalls that he, that he's fallen into in the past when he got hurt, it hurt that knee, and he slammed his hand on the ground. You know what he was thinking, like not again. Yeah. So I, everybody would love to see a full season out of him. My red hot take was that uh, Mike Trout is going to become the first player since 2001 to reach 60 homers. You buying? I, I don't think that's that's hembo crazy. I think, like you, it's it's within the realm of possibility. Uh, I'm not buying, but, I mean, Mike Trout hasn't ever hit 50 homers, so we're talking about quite a leap here. Um, but, no, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. He has the my, – Mike Trout, Buster, has the talent to do just about anything. And I, I think we're at that point in his career now – I hope where we can start to appreciate what he has done already while still admiring what he's doing now and is going to do going forward. Um, You can make an argument that Mike Trout had the best decade between 20 and 29 of any player in baseball history. And the, listen, the all time top of the list greats, play into their 30s, and play well in their 30s. That's the separator and differentiator between the tippy-top, first ballot, top of the pyramid Hall of Famers, and the guys who, by the way, Mike Trout's a Hall of Famer now already. Like, that's, that's done. I mean, if he retired today, he would be a first ballot guy. But to be up there with Ruth, Aaron, Mays, Williams, I would say Bonds, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. To be up there with that caliber of guy, you need to play well into your 30s. And uh, you know what? I hope he hits 60 home runs to have another one of those things when he's in his 30s. I've got about four minutes left with you. i got two more topics. Uh, One, the Yankees letter, I'm putting that in quote air air quotes, was released yesterday. uh, And you tweeted out that it's a big nothing burger. Why? Okay. So this is an important distinction to make. The Yankees cheated. Like, like let's, let's just get that clear. The Yankees in 2015 and 2016 cheated and they shouldn't have, and it was advantageous to them. But the context of that cheating to me is what matters. I think there are people who look at this in a very binary way, which is that either you cheated or you didn't. Um, I'm trying to look at this through the greater prism of what major league baseball was like during that period when technology was being used to decode signs, steal them and relay information. And uh, I, I look at 
what happened with the Yankees, what happened with the Red Sox, and what happened with the Astros, and tried to contextualize it. And yes, the Yankees cheated, uh, but their cheating was the sort that has been done in baseball for a very long time now, which is relaying information to second base when you pick it somehow. Now, uh, or relaying information rather from second base to the hitter. Now, getting it to second base by other means, it's not good. And, and it's why the Yankees, uh, frankly, should have been disciplined harsher for this. Uh, the reason I called it a nothing burger is because Evan Drellick and Ken Rosenthal reported this back in 2020. It was not new information. There was not a bombshell in here. Uh, I I think what Astros fans were hanging on was the idea that there was going to be this giant revelatory letter that said the Yankees did this and this and this and this and this. And in the end, it was that they were doing pretty much the same thing as the Red Sox and they weren't banging on trash cans. And if you want to be a person who can't see the difference between what the Yankees and Astros did, then I'm okay with that. If you, if you want to be binary about it, great. Um, but to me, the, the, they all were guilty. The Yankees were a misdemeanor. The Red Sox were a misdemeanor. The Red Sox, uh, and the Astros were a felony. Like that's, that's how I look at this. We were talking about the sticky substance. I kind of look at what the Yankees did as a pitcher using bullfrog, uh, you know, within the broader context. That's what all teams were doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were going in, they were using the replay system illicitly to decode signs. You weren't supposed to do that. Everyone was doing that. The separator with the Astros was they were relaying, conveying signs to the hitters in real time yes. with the trash can. Yes. Second, second important piece of context was before, after the September 15th, 2017 memo, which is Rob Manfred is the parent saying, kids, that's it. We're yeah. done. And, and you know what, Buster? I, it, I, I look at that and you and I had heard about this for a long time. We were never able to, to get it into print, but we had heard about it. I, I think if Rob Manfred had come down harsher or stronger no on the Red Sox and Yankees, if there's something we look back on, if there was a mistake that was made, I think it was the slap on the wrist with the Apple Watch and and with what the Yankees did that was uh, illustrated in the letter. Like if there were more than a slap on the wrist there, then maybe teams would have been disincentivized. But the reality is, I think teams are still trying to do things like this. I think they're still trying to. They're, they're you know, the the replay room is enforced and as monitors as it is right now. Who knows what's going on back there at this point or in other areas of the ballpark to try and figure out signs? Yeah, I think in that letter in September 2017, Rob should have told everyone what he later did, which is you're going to get kicked out of the sport if you yes. were in this, and I think it would have ended. I know you got to go. 30 seconds on the Blue Jays. Big win last night. The amazing thing to me about the Blue Jays so far, they're not rolling yet, Jeff. They're no. great, and they're not rolling. I know. They're, they're going to be uh, a menace to the rest of the American League. And we'll, – Buster, we need to look at the American League right now and ask ourselves, are there are there really any good teams in here? I mean, I think the Yankees uh, have been better than I expected. Rizzo's been awesome so far. I think the Rays are going to be fine. Red Sox, there are questions. AL Central is a tire fire. Um, I think the Mariners are the best team in the West. Like they, they might be t- – you want to talk about not rolling yet. Um, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick – 
uh, and Jesse Winker haven't hit at this point. Robbie Ray hasn't been great so far. I think the Mariners uh, are going to take a leap this year, and they may, in the end, be the biggest thorn in the side of the Blue Jays, who I think are probably the runaway favorites right now in the AL. All right, Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. Appreciate you having me. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Xavier Scruggs played with the Cardinals and Marlins, so you can, and now, of course, you're an analyst for ESPN. Uh, and you can speak to this. The Cardinals and the Mets play today at 2.15 Eastern time. Uh, you saw all the chirping from the Mets dugout, Max Scherzer, given that uh, that sign with his hands, like, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. The Mets have all these guys get hit by pitches. It's getaway day in this series. Uh, what's the conversation, do you think, going on in the Mets clubhouse before this game today? Yeah, I think not much needs to be said. I think if there's any conversation, it's going to be kind of between the pitchers, like, hey, we need to continue to protect our guys. Um, the Mets have been doing things the right way. I think if there's anything <clears> – <throat> excuse me – if there's anything – that's been noticeable about the Mets is the starting rotation and the pitching has done their job. Now it's about backing up your players, understanding that those guys cannot continue to get thrown at um, without any sense of the other teams knowing, hey, we're not here to play around with that stuff. Like, we do not mess around with that. We will protect our guys. And I, I honestly expect to see somebody from the Cardinals probably getting thrown at. I wouldn't say anywhere near the upper, upper area, um, head, shoulders, like the Mets were thrown at, and we don't know if that was on purpose, of course, but at the same time, you look at those Mets pitchers, they're going to protect their guys. All right, so Aaron Boone, uh, when he did Sunday Night Baseball, and I would have discussions all the time, and I'm just a nerd who didn't play at a high level of baseball. Uh, He played in the big leagues, and I hated these type of days. You know, I hated the idea that, you know, today, uh, I I hate the idea today that a Mets pitcher, you know, is going to throw a baseball directly at a Cardinals hitter. And Booney, who you know is a great guy, uh, he is years and years and years, his family going way back, and he would always tell me, yeah, stuff has to happen. Like, you have to send a message, even if you don't think it was on purpose, 
you need to do that. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of the way you feel too, especially as a position player. Well, well, Buster, it would be different if it was, okay, a couple guys got hit in the lower extremities. But if we're looking at up towards the dome, like uh, Alonzo and like uh, Marte got hit up upper uh, upper body. So those types of shots cannot be continued to take in, uh, be taken, especially when you're a team that's really rolling, right? You don't want any guys getting hurt whatsoever. So you got to be able to protect your guys. All right. When I covered the Padres and a couple times they got in and into this sort of thing, Tony Gwynn assumed he would be the guy who would get, you know, he would take a ball in the, in the back, in the rump or in the back. Yeah. Uh, if you're Paul Goldschmidt today, I'm guessing you're probably going up the plate sort of thinking, you know what, it might happen because he's a first baseman. Pete Alonso's a first baseman, middle of the order guy. That's sort of how teams pick. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's definitely kind of, they want to try to make sure it's equal in a sense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, be, if it was a guy like Nolan Arenado or even Tyler O'Neill, guys in the middle of the order, like you said, that have some thump. And I just hope it's something that's gotten out of the way early, right? The Cardinals have an idea it's probably going to happen. Get it done early, get it over with, and let bygones be bygones. So when I covered the Orioles and Cal Ripken had a consecutive game streak, what was really noticeable, opposing pitchers would not throw at him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't yeah. want to risk hurting him. And I was thinking today about, okay, who's going to get it from the Cardinals? If Albert Pujols in the lineup, I'm guessing he's not going to be the guy, right? <laughs> no, he's not. Him or Yachty will not be the guys. That's 100% um, because you don't mess with those guys. That's that's kind of that that rule among royalty, that brotherhood within the game. Right. Those guys are royalty. It's funny <laughs> how players are chosen in these type of situations. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Tyler O'Neill being a young guy, maybe he's the guy because he's a yeah. great player. And then actually it's a sign of respect, I always thought. Definitely. If you're the guy that's getting hit, that that means that, hey, you're worth something, especially on the team. All right. I know you've been watching the Mets pitching. You just referenced it there. Uh, what are you seeing in that group so far? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing exact dominance with this team. The, I think the one biggest thing, Buster, is the fact that this team is striking out more guys than we've seen them do in the past. But also the walks are down this year. And, and if you think about just normal pitching, like what do you want to do? You want to strike guys out and you want to not walk guys. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen them do from a starting pitching standpoint and from a relief pitching standpoint. That's why they're one of the top teams in the league right now. And when you look at the, um, uh, the ERAs and the FIPS being as close as they are, they're not getting lucky. They're doing what they need to do. I, I don't see any reason why this shouldn't continue on the same trend. Um, and, and that's what you have to do when you don't have a Jacob deGrom, right? You don't have the ace of your staff, the, the number one guy. Obviously, Max Scherzer can be that guy as well. But when you don't have Jacob deGrom, you have to find a way to continue to strike guys out. And that's what this rotation has done extremely well. And you wouldn't necessarily think guys like Carlos Carrasco, right, and, and Peterson and, and McGill would be doing what they're doing. But they've absolutely outshined everybody that they've gone against. Yeah, Max Scherzer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. In my mind, he should be unanimous selection, you know, given the three Cy Young Awards. And yet, statistically, his start so far is the best in his career. And think about this number. I mean, we don't care about wins and losses for pitchers anymore the way that we used to. It's been 336 days since he lost a regular season game. That's How wild. crazy is that? <laughs> that is wild. I mean, when you when you think about those numbers, you just kind of add the days together and you're like, wait a minute, that is way too long, right? Like that seems so unreal, but just tells you how dominant he is 
And doesn't matter what team, right? It could be the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Mets. It doesn't matter. I'll carve you up. Exactly. Uh, two old managers, and I say that respectfully, have taken over new teams this year, and those teams are off to great starts. Bob Melvin, Buck Showalter uh, yeah. of the Mets. Do you think it's a coincidence? No coincidence whatsoever. Um, those guys have been in the game for such a long period of time. When I think specifically about Buck, I think about getting an opportunity to kind of st- take a step back from the game and learn from uh, any mistakes, any things that he would decide to do differently. And then, I mean, when you have that type of talent, there, there's almost no excuse to be able to put together a great culture, right? Not necessarily a great team, but Buck is a guy that uh, really emphasizes culture. And I feel like that's what he's brought to this Mets team. Um, And and really it stands from the starting pitching. He's done a great job with his coaches, uh, putting guys in a great position to succeed. Same thing goes with Melvin, right? When you have the talent and you have the ability to put guys in the best position to succeed, that's when you're going to find yourself winning. And I look at the Padres, the offense really just got going a little bit last night. They haven't even hit their stride yet. So this is a team that can even become more dangerous because they're doing the right things on the pitching side and defensively. These these managers are the, are the reasons why they separate themselves from others because it doesn't matter what team they have. They know how to get their guys playing the right way. We heard Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to miss about three months. He's already they, They've now accounted for a month of that. Eric Hosmer's leading uh, the major leagues in batting average at this point. He's off to a great start, so that's a, that's a good sign there. Cody Bellinger has done some good stuff. Uh, hitting two thirty eight. he has got a five oh eight slugging percentage, little peaks and valleys early. Uh, what are you seeing in him? I, I think the one thing with Cody Bellinger is, and I, I still think he's going to get back to at least – Uh, not MVP form, but at least he can get back to all-star form because he's in the right lineup. And I think him being able to bring other things to the table as far as speed, as far as defense, knowing that he doesn't have to shoulder the load as an MVP, he can easily kind of get himself back to that peak form. Um, And I love what I'm seeing as far as the shoulder injury. He's getting back to being aggressive. He's getting back to hitting balls that are not normally even in the strike zone. What Cody Bellinger did extremely well throughout the course of his career before he hit the the tough slumps, he hit pitches that were outside of the zone. And that's what he's getting back to doing, driving, using the middle of the field, hitting off speed. That's one thing that he wasn't doing as well either. He's doing that now. So I would, like, one thing I just want people to do is keep an eye out for Cody Bellinger because he's going to be an important piece for this Dodgers team if they look to make the same run they they did last year and get even further. X, thanks for doing this. Great to see you. Hey, great to see you. Take it easy, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? I am well, Buster. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I must admit, uh, again, that I'm a complete idiot uh, because <laughs> it was pointed out by a broadcaster, something was pointed out loud by a broadcaster last night that I hadn't noticed uh, I I don't even know how long this has been going on. It might have been going on for 10 years, but it was the first time I actually saw it. We've talked about logos on uh, on uniforms. The Padres are going to wear one in 2023. And I, I wish I could see which, uh, you know, which broadcaster, remember which broadcaster it was. It might have been Tom McCarthy on the Phillies broadcast who pointed out that the umpires are already wearing a logo. Yeah, for cryptocurrency, much less. So this is really, really of the moment. Uh, they snuck this in 
I am thinking sometime in the middle of last season, sometime around All-Star break. Um, and this was similar, Buster, to what happened several years ago when the New Era logo started to appear on the sides of everyone's caps. This uh, slid in there uh, with no notice or very short notice during the postseason a few years back. So uh, the, the, rolled, the, the, the rolling out of ads on individual teams will, be, uh, will, will not be as quiet. I can assure you that. All right, let's get to this week's Phantom franchise, the Toronto Giants. Yes, Buster, this week's Phantom franchise, the Toronto Giants, who for a few short weeks in the winter of 1976, were looking to become the National League's second Canadian city alongside Montreal. On January 9th, 1976, the San Francisco Giants Board of Directors held a three-hour meeting, which was followed up with a terse statement saying that they had conditionally sold the franchise to a Toronto consortium led by Labatt's Breweries for $13.25 million. This included five and a quarter million for legal expenses and for the cost of breaking the club's lease at Candlestick Park which still had a mere 19 years to run. If the deal was proved by the National League owners, then the Giants would be Toronto-bound. The new prospective owners announced that the club would be called the Toronto Giants, citing the franchise's long, rich history. The team was bleeding cash at this time. They averaged less than 6,500 fans a home game in 1975. The National League had lent the Giants $500,000 the previous summer, and the team had been unable to repay the loan and was behind in rent payments at Candlestick. Remember, Buster, that the Oakland A's, located right across the bay, won three consecutive World Series titles in 1972, 73, and 74, and while their attendance wasn't exactly booming, they clearly had the upper hand when it came to Bay Area baseball at this particular moment in time. San Francisco Mayor George Moscone immediately jumped into action, threatening to stop the sale, citing the fact that the club would be breaking their lease and noting the fact that the city was still on the hook for $23 million in bonds that had been issued to build Candlestick Park. A month later, a Supreme Court judge blocked the sale and Moscone found a new local buyer for the ball club when an 11th hour bid of $8 million in cash was made by a group led by Bob Lurie, thus securing the Giants for the Bay Area, where they, of course, remain to this very day. Toronto would not have to wait long for a team of its own as it landed the expansion Blue Jays the following season. But for today, Buster, the Toronto Giants are this week's phantom franchise. Uh, That's pretty amazing how quickly that all played out. You know, you mentioned in 1976, early in 1976, and then 1977, the Blue Jays and Mariners uh, become expansion teams in the American League. Do we know what would have happened if the Giants, if uh, the Giants had moved to Toronto, where the other American League city would have been? What's any best guess as to how that might have played out? Well, at this particular time, Seattle had been promised a franchise right. in exchange for dropping their litigation because of the loss of the Seattle Pilots in 1970. So uh, it was, you know, and, and you might recall this, Buster, you and I being the age that we are, the uh, imbalance of national and American league teams, 14 in the AL, 12 in the NL, 
presented some issues at that time. Doesn't seem like a problem now, but uh, it was a thing then. Uh, to answer your question, I don't know that it was seriously discussed, but boy, did these franchises hit the field in a big hurry back then, right? Yeah, because uh, when the Rockies and the Marlins joined, that was a process. Like they gave those uh, franchises opportunities to build a farm system, uh, you know, before getting major league players, uh, you know, Diamondbacks. Uh, it, it was very different. There's no question about it. Uh, all right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right. All right, everybody, here we go. This is the largest U.S. city currently without my major league baseball team as enumerated by the U.S. Census Bureau. Is it A, San Jose, B, Austin, C, Nashville, or D, San Antonio? The largest U.S. city currently without an MLB team, San Jose, Austin, Nashville, or San Antonio? Uh, Since I am winning the contest this year, I will go first. Oh, man. Of course, I want to say Nashville, given uh, my, my ties there. I'm going to say San Jose. Mm, San Jose sounds like a pretty good answer. You know, basically a suburb of San Francisco. Um, but you know what? Everything is a little bit bigger in Texas. Cities in Texas are like cities in China. You like don't expect to be enormous. So I'm going to go with San Antonio and uh, I've never been there and know anything about it. So it's probably bigger than I think. Okay. I, man. Okay. I'm going to go with the Texas logic, but I'm going to go Austin. Well, Taylor, you come up big because it is San Antonio, Texas. (laughs) I thought this was a baseball thing. (laughs) We're going to start asking color questions very soon here. But yes, it is San Antonio by uh, the seventh biggest city in the United States at this point in time. San Jose, number 10, by the way. Austin, 11. And Nashville, number 21. But uh, right there, yeah. Who gets the next franchise? Man. I don't don't know if it's going to be San Antonio. Great city, though. You should go, Taylor. Yeah, great city. It's interesting. San Antonio, when these conversations come up, people talk about Portland. They talk about Charlotte. They talk about Nashville. I talk about Nashville. Yet even Montreal is mentioned, and I know that's not in the United States, but San Antonio is never mentioned. Yeah, it could have to do with the fact that, uh, again, securing these rights, the territorial rights, which is such a tortured process. Oh. Take a look at Washington and Baltimore. How many years after the Nationals landed in D.C.? So, you know, I, I, it just seems like a reach, but everything is bigger than Texas. I was there earlier this week. I was in El Paso. They are not getting an MLB team anytime soon, but they have a lovely minor league baseball stadium. All right. Congratulations, Taylor. Todd, thank you. All right, guys. Good seeing you. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, we have Chuck Norsaurus Rex at Chuck Norsaurus. Uh, Chuck Norsource writes in, how about Ty France? Last year was a bit of a breakout season for him and Mariner fans expected great things for him. But did anyone in the industry expect him to get off to this hot of a start? Number one batting average in baseball as of today, uh, Eric Hosmer, number two, Andrew Benintendi, and number three, Ty France. He's off to hot start. Mariners leading the American League West. 
Michael Preston will close it out for today at McP1979. Michael writes in, such a good start for the Angels if they can keep Otani and Trout healthy and get Syndergaard back. Could this finally be the year they compete or are fans just getting their hopes up too soon? Yeah, they're off to a nice start. I think the Mariners uh, playing well have sort of obscured what the Angels have done so far. Uh, Taylor, you heard the three hot takes uh, between Jeff and myself and Hembo. Uh, which did you feel like was more reasonable? Byron Buxton being a 10-war player, uh, mine with Mike Trout hitting 60 homers this year, or Hembo saying that Albert Pools is going to hit like 190 home runs? <laughs> it's got to be Mike Trout. I mean, he, yes. could, he could tickle 60. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I, I think that's that's not even that hot, Buster. I, I kind of like the wow. that you're... Uh, well, he's done it in 21 years, and you're saying I didn't step out on a limb? Nope. Come nope. on. Just kidding. Wow. It's pretty hot, but I like it, I, and that would be a lot of fun, too. All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Xavier, Jeff, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.